So have you ever heard of a secret knock? You know, a secret knock. Kid down the street from you, you know, they got a little secret club in his backyard up in his treehouse. And the only way you can get into the secret club, the only way you can get into the treehouse is if you know the secret knock. You know, secret knock usually is a, a number of different knocks and, you know, different little rhythm. If you have a, a, a child under the age of 18 or a grandchild under the age of 18, you have probably seen the Lego movie. And there's a scene in the Lego movie where Vitruvius with his mission team comes up to the door of Cloud Cuckoo Land. And he turns to his team and he says, I just need to give the secret knock. Of course, I can't do the Morgan Freeman voice, you know, it doesn't work. But he takes his staff, and there's this moment of silence. And he hits the door with his staff one time. That's the secret knock. Just, just one knock. Not much of a secret knock, is it? There is a, a society called the Secret Knock Society. It's a meeting, a conference they have all over the country, different locations, different times of the year. It's a collaboration of, of business leaders, a collaboration of entrepreneurs, and, and they're known as the Secret Knock Society. And this is their tagline, hang around winners and become one too. And underneath that tagline is a little bit of a motto that goes like this. We are a reflection of the people we associate with the most, and our income, attitude, and lifestyle is the average of that group. One of the leaders that they collaborate with that they have noted on their website is one Gerald Patrick Mathers. Now, if that name doesn't ring a bell with you, you might know him better as Jerry Mathers, and if that doesn't ring a bell with you, you might know him best as the beef. Beaver Cleaver from Leave it to Beaver. Now, honestly, if we think through this, when we put the phrase, hang out with winners and Beaver Cleaver together, we don't usually do the math like that, right? We don't usually think of the beef as a winner. But the reality is this. Jerry Mathers had a very and has a very successful career in the entertainment industry, both TV, movies, live theater, even music. He has a degree from Cal Berkeley in philosophy. He spent some time in, in banking and real estate development and was successful in both. He rose to the rank of sergeant in the U.S. Air Force Reserve. So just another reminder that you can't judge a book by its cover, or you can't judge the beaver by his TV show, right? You see, there's, there's something about this notion of who we become and who we are that matters. The Secret Knock Society is onto something with at least one part of their motto. We are a reflection of the people we associate with the most. So, who do you associate with the most? Who do you hang out with? Are you in a Secret Knock Society somewhere? You know, the answers to those questions at the very least will give us a reflection of who you are. So, who are you? I mean, underneath all the, you know, beautiful Easter clothes we have on today, who, who are you? Who are you really underneath? And maybe a more pointed question is this, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian or are you just here 
for Easter? There is a way to kind of answer those questions, at least one way that's helpful, and it's a way that actually involves a knock. But it's not a secret knock. It's a pretty clear and open knock. Listen to Luke chapter 11, verse 9. This is what Jesus says. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Jesus has been teaching his closest friends about prayer. He's given them a model prayer. He's given them a guide and a pattern. But now he's moving them past just the teaching part. He's wanting to move them to action. He's saying, look, don't just take notes on this. Don't just make an outline about praying. I want you to actually go pray. So how do we know what we should pray? Well, Jesus gives us a model, right? Just a few sentences back in verses 2 through 4, this is what Jesus says. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. So that's a pattern for prayer. So if we actually were to do that, it it might sound a little bit like this, maybe maybe not in the exact words, but, but we might pray along the lines of saying, God, help me to see today that you are holy and hallowed and other, and there's absolutely no one like you in the universe. And God, when things do not go the way I want them to go, Would you help me to see and know that you see everything and that you know everything and there's absolutely nothing that you can't do and there's absolutely nothing and no one that has a shred of authority over you. God, would you help me see that again today? And God, when I don't feel it and when I can't see it and when I don't believe it, even in the moment, would you help me? Would you allow me to see, push me in the direction to know that you're a good, good father over all that you've created? And God, would you give me the food and and the water that I need for today? And God, would you forgive me of my sins and, and don't hold them over my head today? God, don't try to bribe me and blackmail me with fear and guilt over my sin today. And God, would you please help me to forgive other people when they sin against me and help me not to hold, my, hold their sin over their heads. Don't, don't let me try to blackmail and bribe them with fear or guilt because of how they've sinned against me. And God, would you help me to see the lies of sin? Would you help me to see the lies of, of Satan? He is my biggest enemy. He hates you, God, and he hates me, and he wants to destroy my life with idolatry or immorality or apathy, whichever bait he can get me to take the fastest. And oh yeah, God, would you help me with my math quiz too? See, that's actually how we usually pray, right? We forget all the other stuff. We kind of sit down at the desk and, you know, we're kind of freaking out and we're like, oh God, I don't know if I studied enough. Please help me with this math quiz. And I'll see you next Easter. You see, the the thing about the model prayer is that it changes how you pray. The thing about what Jesus is saying here is, is it actually changes who you are. 
See, it doesn't make the math quiz unimportant. It doesn't mean that you don't pray about the math quiz. What it means is this. The math quiz doesn't completely destroy your emotions and freak your soul out because the model prayer helps you to see that God is the one true, holy, hallowed, eternal, awesome, sovereign king of the universe. He's kind of a big deal. And he says to you, I am here for you. And see, we don't freak out about the math quiz. We don't have the math quiz completely destroying our emotions because we remember that this morning we had a, a frosted blue raspberry Pop-Tart for breakfast. And we know mom's making homemade pizza for dinner. In other words, the model prayer actually helps us to see there's no reason for my soul to freak out because I already have more than bread and water today. And the math quiz doesn't completely destroy our emotions or, or cause our souls to freak out. Because if we're a Christian, we remember we're no longer dead in our sins. We remember that, that Jesus has paid the penalty for our sin with his own blood. And the math quiz doesn't completely destroy our emotions and it doesn't freak out our soul because we remember we've been forgiven and we remember the joy and the satisfaction of forgiving other people. And we also remember that when it comes to temptation, God has the most incredible virus protection plan in the universe because nothing can touch your soul. Nothing. See, when we are deep in prayer when our lives are overwhelmed with prayer, when we passionately pursue prayer, something different happens with our souls. You see, our souls are, are quieted. We begin to see what it means to be known by God. And here's the thing. It's not just good for math quizzes. It's good for sour marriages. And it's good for rebellious children. And it's good for difficult jobs. And it's good for financial stress. And it's good for political turmoil. Why? Old hymn puts it this way. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace, all sufficient, shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee. Listen, the flames of your personal fiery trial, whatever that may be, the flames of your trial might give you third-degree burns. In fact, the flames of your trial that you're going through, those flames might actually take your life. But they cannot truly hurt you. What does that mean? A newer hymn puts it this way. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Till he returns or till he calls me home, here in the power of Christ I'll stand. See, the power of hell and the schemes of man, they might pluck really hard at your emotions and they might pluck really hard at your attitude and they might pluck really hard at your body but they will not because they cannot touch your soul that's what it means to be in Christ that's what it means to be saved that's what it means to be a Christian see what we're saying is this your soul 
is more you than anything else you are. I mean, we all looked in the mirror this morning, didn't we? We all tried to make sure we looked nice, had a good appearance. It's Easter. But what you look like is not really who you are. Who you are the most is, is who your soul is. Your soul is the reflection, the primary reflection of who you are. And so Jesus is giving a teaching to his closest friends on prayer. But prayer is not a language primarily for your mouth. Prayer is a language for your soul. And so in giving the model prayer, Jesus is giving language for the soul first and the mouth second. He's trying to help his friends see how strategically important their soul is and how having a healthy soul is what matters the most. So take all of that and now listen to these words from Jesus again. So, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. This is amazing. The God of the universe comes to your soul and he says to you, listen, I have this proposition for you. I'm available to you. The one true sovereign king of the universe says, I'm available to you. See, you don't need a middleman. You don't need a pastor. You don't need a pope. You don't need a prophet. You don't need a parent. You don't need a peer. You don't need a politician. You can go directly to God. You can go directly to God and you can pray. And you can ask. And you can seek. And you can knock. What does that mean? Well, think of it this way. Hopefully a helpful picture. This past week, I was part of a group of people that helped someone find their car keys. This is how the process went. First, there was an asking time. Hey, where are my keys? I can't find my keys. But the asking wasn't the only part of what happened. Then there was a seeking part, right? The purse is, is dug through. The purse is kind of turned over. There's, there's some seeking. We're, we're looking for the keys. And then beyond the seeking part, there's some knocking. Some people are recruited. Some people are brought in and volunteered. And, and one person was dispatched to, to walk between the building and the car and, and see that path and see if they had fallen there. And a, another person was dispatched to, to where the person had gone in the building. And, and they were going to go and see on that path. Maybe somewhere those keys fell along the way. So, so it, was a, it was a process. It wasn't just a question. It was an active question, asking and seeking and knocking. The grammar and the language that Jesus is using here is continual action. In the words of philosopher D.L. Whitney, prayer kind of can be boiled down to this. Get her done. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, get after it. Pray, crave asking, crave seeking, crave knocking. Let prayer be a part of your every breath. The Apostle Paul was teaching some folks at a place called Thessalonica, and this is what he said to them. He said, pray without ceasing. God, preacher, now you're just losing your mind, right? Pray without ceasing, what do you mean? So I'm supposed to bow my head and close my eyes in the middle of my math quiz? 
I mean, how in the world can I, you know, show my work or, or fill in my answers? I'm supposed to bow my head and close my eyes when I drive down I-26 at the end of the day? How in the world am I supposed to, to maneuver around Malfunction Junction with my head bowed and my eyes closed? Actually, that might be the best way to drive through Malfunction Junction. <laughs> Correction. Praying without ceasing is not having your eyes closed and your head bowed all the time. Praying without ceasing is engaging in an ongoing relationship with the one true living God. Here's what praying without ceasing is not. Praying without ceasing is not showing up at church on Easter once a year to feel better about you and God. You may say, hey man, you should be glad that I'm here. I'm super glad that you are here for no other reason than you can hear these words from Jesus. This is what Jesus said, Matthew chapter seven. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. See, the reason we don't want you to be an Easter Christian is because an Easter Christian is not a Christian. At least based on how Jesus teaches and talks. This is what Jesus said. If anyone wishes to come after me, she must deny herself and take her picture in front of the living cross in front of the church once a year, and that's all she has to do. That would be from chapter 9, verse 23 of the book of Loco. It's not what it says. This is what Jesus says. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This isn't fancy religious language. Jesus is talking to a group of men in this moment that left things to follow him. They left their normal, steady, comfortable life to follow Jesus every single day. And I think that's exactly why he's teaching on prayer like this. See, Jesus' thinking and his teaching about prayer is not something that you'd have on a bucket list. His teaching on prayer is not a, a limited addition. It's not a one-and-done activity. It is a continual, passionate action. The way Jesus is teaching on prayers is kind of like a Fitbit. If you don't know what a Fitbit is, it's, it's like a little watch-like device that, that tracks your activity. You notice I don't have one. <laughs> because a Fitbit is supposed to encourage you to be healthier. You know, bacon and Krispy Kreme donuts don't exactly work into the Fitbit plan, I don't think. But the Fitbit is designed, Fitbit is, is designed to, to track your activity, and to encourage you to live a healthier life. This is what their website says about the two guys that founded the company. I love this. They embarked on a journey to create a wearable product that would change the way we move. In giving us a model prayer, in, in commanding us to ask and seek and knock, Jesus is kind of giving us a, a faith bit, if you will. He's giving us something that should be part of who we are, to, to track our thoughts and our actions, our attitudes, our emotions. And maybe along those same lines to, 
give us something similar to a Fitbit. His invitation might sound like this, to embark on a journey to cultivate a usable passion that will change the way we live. That's, that's the whole idea behind prayer. When Jesus says, ask and seek and knock, it's not something that he just mildly says. In fact, each of these things come with a promise. And what's the promise? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock, the door will be open for you. I mean, this is great, right? I mean, basically Jesus says all you have to do is ask and seek and knock and you'll get whatever you want. That's a good gig, right? But remember, there's this one little phrase that Jesus gave before he gets to this part. It's this one little phrase that he teaches us about how we need to think when we pray. It impacts how we ask and how we seek and how we knock. And that little phrase goes like this. Jesus says, when you pray, you need to pray this way. Father, your kingdom come. Well, that's no problem. We all pray like that anyway, right? I mean, we wake up every morning and say, God, I don't want to get my way today at all. I don't want anything to go my way. God, you just get your way. I don't want anything. We really don't pray like that very often, do we? So what would this look like in real life? What would it look like in real life to actually pray, God, your kingdom come, to actually ask, seek, and knock? Well, here's one example. It's a pretty good one in my mind. One night, Jesus of Nazareth was praying. And he was praying in such a way, so deeply was he asking God that his mind and his body just ached. Ever prayed like that? Ever felt like that? Have you ever felt so pressed that you just couldn't think? You ever felt so pressed that literally your body just aches? Luke was a physician, and, and in his writing about this night, he said that, that Jesus actually had some, some capillaries that, that busted underneath his skin, and so it was as if he was literally sweating blood as he prayed. This was intense prayer. This was intense asking. And in the middle of all of this asking, he kept saying something over and over and over again. More than once, he said, God, your will be done. God, your will be done. Your kingdom come. Those, those are the same phrase. Your kingdom come. God, your way, your way, your way. Jesus asked, and he asked passionately and with great eagerness. But then he did something beyond just asking. He began to seek. And what did he seek? Well, he got up from where he was praying, and he went to go seek the people who were coming to arrest him. So he did. He, he went up and went looking for the soldiers that were coming to arrest him and they were leading him away so that he would endure excruciating mental and emotional and physical torture for about six hours. And that's before he was brutally executed on a cross. And so Jesus did some asking, but he didn't stop with the asking. Then he began to seek. And all of this, his asking and his seeking, is all under the, God, your kingdom come. And then he went beyond just asking and seeking. Then he began to knock. And what did Jesus knock on? Well, Jesus knocked on the very door of heaven. 
And his knock was not a secret knock. It wasn't a fancy knock. It didn't have a lot of knocks and a lot of rhythms. It was really just one knock. It was one fierce knock. In fact, it was such a fierce knock that it rattled all of heaven, it rattled all of the earth, it rattled everything under the earth and everything in the universe. And that knock sounded like this. It is finished. And that knock is still rattling my soul today. That knock is still rattling some of your souls today. That, that fierce knock, that it is finished, is still rattling the souls of men and women and boys and girls even today and will continue until Jesus returns. If you're a Christian, I pray that your soul is, is daily rattled a little bit that you're rattled with a, a deep and sobering joy that it is finished, has captured your soul. And if you're not a Christian, then I pray that the Holy Spirit will rattle you with a deep and sobering jolt. That every power of hell and every scheme of man can pluck and kill your soul. But I also pray that you would have a deep and sobering jolt and that you would no longer be blinded by your sin. That you would hear the voice of God calling for you to come and follow Jesus and be saved and be free and be satisfied. With one knock, Jesus changed the world. With one knock, Jesus saved the world. This past week, I knocked on the door of a hospital room. And I went inside of that door. And just a few minutes after that, I watched Jesus call a very precious man home forever. And then a few minutes after that, I watched looking at him with tears in her eyes and a smile on her face. I listened as his precious bride said, he's not here. He's not here. You see, in that moment this week, his faith became sight. Listen, we can argue politics. We can argue sexual ethics. We can argue what color the carpet is. We can argue predestination and election. We can argue eschatology. We can debate on just about anything that you want to about God. Creation, evolution, the Trinity, whatever you want to fill in the blank. But at the end of the day, when we're sitting in that moment, every single moment of our last breath, we want to know who's keeping our soul. Do you know who's keeping your soul? If it's you, it's not good. If it's God, it's amazing. It's stunning. And I think that's why Jesus repeats himself. Look at verse 10. 
For everyone who asks, receive, and he who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. I love this. Jesus just basically repeats himself, but I think he repeats himself on purpose. It's like he's saying, guys, get this, okay? You, you really need to get this. What I'm telling you right here will give you endless hope and endless joy. Being able to be connected with God the Father and him protecting your soul, this is big stuff. You see, the more we understand the gospel, what we will ask for the most is more of Jesus. And the more we understand the gospel, what we will seek the most is more of Jesus. And the more we understand the gospel, what we will knock on the most is the door of God's word because we want to find out more about Jesus. You know, there could have been a second knock in this timeline of the life of Jesus. There could have been a, a second knock after the crucifixion. But the reason there wasn't a second knock is because the door had been rolled away. See, there was no reason to knock. He wasn't there. And because he wasn't there, we have every reason to believe every single word that came out of his mouth. And we have every reason that every time Jesus said, I'm here to fulfill the Old Testament, we should believe him because he wasn't there. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And that changes everything. I pray your soul has found that.